Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks, the podcast where we discuss global energy issues and trends with experts from around the world. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. In this episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Taco Neat, a professor in the School of Sustainable Energy Engineering at Simon Fraser University in Burnaby, British Columbia, whose research expertise is energy systems modeling. Welcome to the interview, Taco. Great, thanks. Um, yeah, sustainable energy engineering at SFU is actually in Surrey because we have two campuses, but that's awesome. Yeah, so we have a brand new campus in Surrey. So what I want to talk about today, Taco, is your area of expertise, which is energy systems modeling. And my impression is that we don't do nearly enough of this in Canada to support policy decisions. And you see the odd modeling exercise come, come out uh, Jason Dion over at Canadian Institute for Climate Choices did an excellent one for decarbonization pathways last year. There have been another one came out from the Trache Institute, but these are mm -hmm. few and far between, and they're very often not done by uh, by government departments or by you know companies or uh, crown corporations like BC Hydro. And if they are done, they aren't released, so we have no idea yeah. what role they play in the discussion. So. From your point of view, what are the pros and cons of energy systems modeling? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I think there's, um, the, the pros is you can play with scenarios. You can say, what if we electrify all the vehicles? What happens? How much electricity system do we need? How do we address that challenge? You can play with the question of what happens if we install wind power everywhere? How does that work? Does the system work with wind power everywhere without other pieces? What other pieces do we need to make things work? So really the pros are, we can play with those scenarios and those different ideas and, and see what happens. And um, I think that that's a lot of fun. That's why I do that. Um, in terms of the cons of modeling, I think the biggest cons of modeling is that um, sometimes people don't question the model as much as they should. And so they end up, um, it's a model. The model says X, so therefore X. And we're gonna do X because we had a model that said that, but we don't, the, there needs to be also that critical evaluation of the model because the model is not perfect. No model is actually gonna perfectly illustrate the world. And so we need to critically evaluate how the model addresses things. And that sometimes gets missed when the, the modeling group says, here we go, and we'll just go along that path, but without really questioning some of those pieces. And that's sort of where modeling can get problematic is we're, if we're not questioning all those different pieces. Right. And, you know, I look at the situation in Canada and, and we're talking about, you know, uh, extensive electrification of the national economy, mm -hmm. which then implies in a, a significant expansion of the power grid of the of generation, um, maybe two or three times as much generation that we, we need more transmission. We have to upgrade our distribution systems. These are huge questions that will require, mm -hmm. you know, enormous amounts of, of capital to do. They need policy decisions to support them. We have a fragmented electricity system in Canada because the electricity uh, is the purview of the provinces, not the federal government. Mm -hmm. So the federal government can't come in and just coordinate things or impose, it has to, it has to consult with premiers and consult with provincial governments. It's like, it's like herding cats. It's very, very yeah. difficult. <laughs> We've seen that over the decades, it's very difficult. For sure. and, and yet there's an imperative here to get it done quickly because 
in order to meet climate targets and, and, to, uh, and to switch over to a clean energy economy that we need to be competitive. So <laughs> why do you think that we aren't doing uh, as the kind of modeling that in Canada that we need to support these discussions and ultimately policy decisions? Yeah, I think there's a, it's, a, it's an interesting question because I think there is definitely more modeling that needs to be done. And then I think the other piece that needs to happen is a good coordination of that modeling so that we're, we're working together so that it's not um, three different academic groups do a similar modeling exercise and then we're not building benefit amongst the different ones. So I know that the, the government recently, or actually over the last few years, there was the, the Energy Modeling Initiative, EMI, and they've started trying to coordinate some of those pieces. But, um, and, I, and I think more of that is needed. I think there is another, um, another tranche of sort of funding for that EMI project, which is great. Um, so hopefully that energy modeling initiative project continues and keeps doing some of that coordination. But I think the, so, so I think there's, there's some stuff that's definitely happening, which is great, but I think some more coordination and some more, um, collaboration needs to happen and how that happens is partially organically. I think we need EMI convene modelers a couple of times over the last few years and hopefully that continues as well where we get to get together and, and just meet other modelers and talk about things. Because that's I think how a lot of these things happen is you just go to these events and talk to people. And I think COVID hasn't helped us all, all over the last couple of years as well because we can't go get together with people. Um, and then and then it's it's the it's the funding structures in some ways as well don't necessarily make it easy to get funding to do modeling. So, yeah, but, now, but it's, the, it's come big, getting better, I think. One of the things I've noticed uh, is that the Americans do a lot of modeling. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're very aggressive in this area. I've interviewed, I don't know how many economists yeah. who have led modeling exercises. Sometimes it's at the university level, level like uh, Professor Jim Williams mm -hmm. over at San Francisco University. Sometimes it's at the, the government level, like the National uh, Renewable Energy Labs uh, have done all sorts of modeling, modeling exercise. They have extensive you know, resources and, and people. And it seems like you, know, you can almost pick out the, uh, the modelers in Canada on a couple of, you know, on your fingers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's uh, Navius, uh, in uh, in BC, and there's a couple of people like Dr. Chris Bataille, and then you know, do we have enough people, or, or do we need to train more economists to build up this part of our of our I don't know policy team? So so I think there's also different types of modeling. So I don't do economic modeling like Chris Bataille or um, Navius does. Um, I'm more into the engineering technical modeling. I think we need both. Um, we need to do that that big picture economy type things in, in policy, as well as the detailed engineering modeling of how the system will actually work. Because often the, the economic modeling says, we put this incentive in place and we build a whole pile of wind. And then the engineers go, what do we do with that wind? We can't handle that wind in the system. And so we need both levels of modeling, the economic as well as the engineering. Um, and then your question of, of how do we get more of the, or, or why is there more in the US versus in Canada? I think the US is a lot bigger. That's one piece of it. Um, and I think they, their um, national laboratory structure is really conducive to making really good policy modeling type things happen. Um, Joe De, De Carolis, who um, has recently, I think actually joined the Energy Information Agency. He's one of the modelers that does some of the engineering modeling like I do. Um, but they have, they have some structures in place. And they also, I think, 
part of that is that the national government needs to coordinate because their states are much smaller. So yes, we have 10 different provinces that each do their own thing in terms of electricity. Um, I think if you had 50 different um, provinces, you'd have to coordinate them a little more. And so they have some more of that national coordination happening. So. Well, let's, let's talk about modeling uh, within the British Columbia context, mm -hmm. because BC is one of the few provinces that actually has a very comprehensive a set of climate policies is called uh, Clean BC. Yeah. And the government is busy uh, bringing in policies to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, zero emission vehicle mandates, uh, that sort of thing. But on the electricity side, it has really turned this over to BC Hydro, which is the provincial government owned crown corporation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's a, a vertically integrated uh, utility. So it handles all the generation, the distribution and and uh, and transmission, uh, there are a little bit of there's some municipal yeah. utilities and yeah. Florida's BC does a little bit, but yeah. mostly it's BC Hydro. Mostly BC Hydro, yeah. So they have created a draft integrated resource plan, mm -hmm. which so they have modelers inside who do this kind of planning. And and so it was the the, the plan was actually panned when it came out last year. It was not well received by many people in the sort of the clean energy space and one of the things that uh, that bothers me is bc hydro doesn't release its modeling it doesn't it, it does everything behind closed doors and then it only just gives you the plan here's the results here's our recommendations and you can't have any kind of public debate or discussion or any of it yeah. because none of it's re released and so that bears on the conversation we're going to have about how BC can double or triple its its electricity mm -hmm. generation and yeah. meet its requirements. So anyway, your take on how how that uh, how that process works? Yeah, I I have a lot of respect for BC Hydro and their modeling. Um, I know a number of modelers in BC Hydro and and how they how they do things. So I I do have a lot of faith in them doing good modeling. Um, but I think there is that. As you said, there's that perception of of not being open about things, and I think the one of the things that I try and do with my modeling is do a lot of it open source, try, ideally open data and open source, so we can post the whole thing to GitHub, and theoretically someone could suck that down and run the model. Um, very few will because it's a major pain to get your computer to actually do all those things, um, but it's there. People can look at it. People can. Theoretically, they can play with things, and then there's that that provides that openness. Um, I think it would be great if the BC government um, mandated that the IRP models were open and and open that up. I think that would be great for BC public policy. It would also be great for some of us modelers because we could actually use some of the data that BC Hydro has and and check some of their results. Um, so so although I I think they do really good modeling, and I I do trust that they're doing the right things. It would be really great to open source that and, and make that available to everyone to, to address some of those challenges as you discussed of how do we know what's happening there? Well, let's look at uh, so some of the problem that arises when, when it isn't mm -hmm. released. So uh, I know of a number of uh, smaller studies uh, independently taken uh, you know, by other groups, mm -hmm. were taken by other yeah. groups. So for instance, uh, in 2018, Jay Mather, when he was at the Clean Energy BC, uh, modeled LNG and, and some of the final demand and saw a big a, a need by 2050 for you know much, much more electricity. Mm -hmm. uh, two years ago, the University of Victoria transportation team 
modeled the electrification of BC transportation. And I think they were, you know, by 2045, it needed uh, double the electricity uh, mm -hmm. just to meet electric transportation. The problem, of course, is, as you pointed out, you've got a study here and a study there, and there's no integration into a bigger, uh, a bigger um, uh, a model, a bigger assessment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it would be great. So, so great studies. And um, yeah, I, I, I've done some rough calculations as well in terms of how much more electricity system we'd need. And depending on the calculations, it's low ball is probably one and a half to two times the system we currently have. Um, high ball is three to four because there's some efficiencies. But but yeah, there is so much of our system. About 80% of our system is fossil powered at this point. And so that's four times the current electricity system with efficiencies. It's probably two to three that we need to build. Um, and so so yeah, one of the one of the pieces in terms of coordinating is then how do how do we coordinate that? Um, it'd be great to have the BC government sort of support some coordination, some conferences for all of us to get together in BC that do modeling, sort of figure out how to coordinate those things. And then also have some expectation that these models are open source and that BC Hydro will put them open source. And that would really sort of strengthen that, that connection and ability for us to do interesting modeling. Let's have a conversation about some of the options that BC mm -hmm. has uh, to generate more of that electricity. And I think for this sure. will illustrate for our listeners you know, some why we need to model these scenarios because the mm -hmm. choices are not, are difficult. So yes. right now, BC Hydro, uh, BC has uh, electricity generating capacity of about 18,300 megawatts. That's their capacity and 32 or 34 hydro dams. I think it's 97% uh, hydroelectricity. So it's mm -hmm. clean, clean electricity. Uh, but the problem is, that after Site C, which is an additional 1,100 megawatts of generating capacity, about 6% of what it currently has, after that, BC Hydro has said it has no plans to build any more dams. Yeah. So if, if the current system is hydro and they're not going to do any more hydro, then the question arises, where is that electricity going to come from if we need two or three times more? Absolutely. And, and I think there's, there's two or three times more in two different pieces. And so there's the, the 18 gigawatts, which is the peak. And our winter peak is roughly 18 to 20 gigawatts. Um, interestingly, that's electricity only. The natural gas peak in the winter is probably twice as big. So there's the capacity to actually generate at a given time how much energy we want to use. So, so we have to triple the ability to generate and transmit that energy. There's also just the number of electrons we just have to play with. And currently we generate about 50 terawatt hours of electricity in the province each year. And so Site C is about five terawatt hours. So one tenth of that. So yeah, in terms of, in terms of capacity, it's about uh, 5% and then it's about a tenth of the actual generation. And so yeah, we need to find more. We need to find more gigawatts and we need to find more terawatt hours. And we need, so, so in terms of options for that, Dams, no more dams, that makes things hard. There are a few rivers that could be dammed, but there's also a lot of time frame. Um, Site C started being talked about in the 70s, and we're currently start really building it. And so there, that's a 50-year timeline to get something built. Um, other options, really, our modeling shows that we really need some form of firm, low-carbon energy source. And so hydro is great for that, because you can turn it on whenever you want. The other options might be nuclear. 
Um, nuclear fusion would be great, but again, we're probably not there for another 20 to 30 years before we can have that working properly. Um, and then you get to things like solar or wind, which to be firm, you need some sort of storage attached to that. And that's where things get really challenging is how do we do that storage? Currently, we provide California actually some storage with our hydro dams for their solar. So they generate a lot of solar during the, the day, we buy some of that, and then we sell it back to them at the nighttime peak so that they can turn on their stoves at six o'clock when they're trying to do things. So there's a lot of challenges there. All the different options have benefits and challenges. Well, let's talk about this. Two years ago, Energy Minister Bruce Ralston uh, said that there, you know, BC is looking at meeting its, uh, its need for more electricity by buying cheap so, uh, California solar. And at the time, uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to test that, that argument. Mm -hmm. And so I interviewed people like Elliot Mainzer, who is the CEO of Bonneville Power and Administration mm -hmm. at the time, uh, Ben Kuyala, who's the power planner at the uh, Pacific Northwest Conservation Association, uh, 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 economists at uh, uh, the Haas Energy Institute at Berkeley. And I asked them, I, so I put this question to them, and they all said, no, that's really a bad idea. It's a good idea in the short term, maybe two to five years, but for a whole variety of reasons, they said, well, you know, California is, is short transmission capacity itself. Uh, there are already be plans being made to add, to add storage to the California system so they can suck up that extra solar. There are plans for, to build other projects like hydrogen to take advantage of it. There are, I mean, there were just a whole range of, of issues why BC should not depend upon cheap solar mm -hmm. from, from California. And yet the minister just throws it off as kind of a, you know, throwaway chat in, in a comment in a press, press conference and presto, it's like it's, 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 uh, <laughs> it's policy and there's no modeling, there's no analysis. Yeah. There's, and this is the danger that we run. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the, as you said, the, the challenge of not doing enough modeling of the right questions. Because I think we're currently we do buy solar cheap from California, but there is a there is a limit to how much we can take because the transmission lines. And so the, every option we have, we have to add transmission lines, we have to add storage, we have to add generation. And depending on which option we have, it's a different combination of those things that we need. And there's cons for all of them. Um, I don't think, as, as you said, I don't think that California has that much solar that they're going to be able to send to us. And I don't think we're going to be able to get them to build a transmission line from Southern California all the way up into BC that has the capacity to be able to buy that solar. And I don't think that we necessarily have the energy to send to, to, to sort of deal with that as well, because we need it's not just buying more electrons, but it's also the capacity at the right time. So we can buy more electrons, that, that's great, that hits the terawatt hours requirement, but we also need to hit the peak at the middle of winter, in the nighttime, evening, when everyone's turning on their stoves and got their heaters going, we need to hit that peak. And we need more generation capacity to be able to do that. And relying on transmission for nighttime solar from California, probably not gonna happen very easily. Uh, no, indeed. Uh, well, let's talk about an idea that's now being tossed around, and that is more east-west trade between provinces. And Western Canada is uh, kind of unique, I think. Uh, I, on the, the bookend of the four provinces, and British Columbia on the west and Manitoba on mm -hmm. the east, are big hydro provinces. 
and Manitoba, uh, BC already, but uh, Manitoba still has some hydro uh, resources up in the Nelson River up mm -hmm. in the north, where, by the way, I should point out, uh, I grew up and my dad worked for Manitoba Hydro and so did I out of high school. So nice. I, I know the Nelson <laughs> River reasonably well. Lots of, there's still opportunity there. In yep. the middle, you've got Alberta and Saskatchewan that have a lot of uh, the best wind and solar resources in Canada. And there's been the suggestion for a long time that they should be they're uh, tied together with uh, transmission intertwined, mm -hmm. yeah. and then have a, a Western Canadian regional market, so that the the BC uh, hydro dams and not Manitoba hydro mm -hmm. dams act yeah. as batteries for all of that renewables, and mm -hmm. you have a more integrated, uh, reliable system you can scale up. What's your take on that? I I think it's a really interesting idea. Um, the modeling that I've seen and done. Um, tends to favor the north-south connections. And I think that might be because there's good solar resources in the south. So, so there are definitely potential. I think there's, there's lots of different potential solutions. So yes, we could make BC through to Manitoba one system and figure out how to make that work. So we have to do some modeling on that. How big do those transmission lines need to be? I'm not sure at the, off the top of my head, but I could put a model together to ask that question. Um, but but it's, it becomes a balancing of those different challenges. We could put small modular reactors in each province and maybe solve the problem that way. There's challenges with that. We could look for, as you said, putting more um, hydro in Manitoba and connecting things up and having a lot of wind in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Um, we could look at north-south lines, but really the, so it's an interesting idea. I think, as you sort of mentioned at the beginning, we need a bit more modeling to figure out what the best approach might be and what's going to be best for the system and everyone connected to that system. Right, and, and I think this is an imperative because uh, during the, <clears throat> the fall uh, federal election campaign, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced that there uh, would be a pan-Canadian grid council to try to do this across the country, get more east-west integration. And sure enough, now he's given the mandate letter to his environment minister, Stephen Gilbo, to get on this. And, and so we, we expect that this spring, they're going to create the Pan-Canadian Grid Council and begin to work towards more mm -hmm. integration. And we still haven't done any modeling. So here we are having, oh. we're going to have discussions amongst policymakers about how to do this. And we don't know yeah. the pros and cons of it yet because we haven't modeled it. Hopefully the Pan-Canadian Grid Council does some modeling. So that, that's my hope is that they get this group together and they bring in modelers to give them sensible numbers for what might what a Pan-Canadian grid might look like. But, right. but yeah, at this that point they be, haven't done modeling. That would be the sensible thing yes. to do. I, yeah. Given our history in this, I'm not sure it's, it's the thing that will be, get, will be done. That, that's my concern. Yes. Well, we can cross our fingers, hope that the current environment minister is sensible. Um, they can contact me. There's only one taco at SFU, so it's fairly easy to look me up. And so if they're interested in getting some modeling done for this group, I'm happy to, to talk to them and figure out how we might do that. Um, but yeah, so, so the, and, and the big question that we have to answer is how do we make sensible decisions? And Having, as you said, having policymakers do that is not probably without modeling of some sort isn't going to really work very well. So the more we can get other people and modelers and, and engineers and economists modeling, um, the better off we'll be. 
Let's talk about something that you're going to be discussing in your talk tomorrow, mm -hmm. uh, which you'll be doing at S S uh, SFU, and that is nuclear as an option here. Mm -hmm. And of course, what we're talking about primarily is uh, small modular reactors. Been a lot of the federal government has a policy to develop those. We're seeing um, OPG in Ontario is act actively developing one. They hope to get online maybe 2028, 2029 at, at the earliest. And on the one hand, uh, there are lots of proponents for, for uh, SMRs. On the other hand, there's all sorts of opposition because of the length of time and the unpredictability, and we don't know what the cost will be yet, mm -hmm. and it's, it's difficult. Uh, how would you, as a modeler, approach uh, modeling SMRs into the system uh, now? Yeah, so they're relatively straightforward to model because they're relatively easy to run relatively flat. So nuclear power plants tend to run relatively flat. They can, they can ramp up and down for the load to sort of follow the load. Um, so that's relatively, they can be modeled in there. And, and the big question there is sort of the cost and their operational profile in terms of how we put them into the engineering modeling. The, the, the question becomes then how do we implement that or, or how do we connect that to the policy and, and the public? One of the questions with, with nuclear is, is that public acceptance. Um, in terms of its ability to run really nicely in an electrical system, they're great. Um, France runs most of their system on nuclear and, and it's really low carbon, it's stable, it works really nicely. Um, they're, they're really happy with that system. And so the question really on, on nuclear specifically is, is that policy piece. How do we bridge that policy divide? And I think one of the pieces is actually not only modeling the SMRs, it's modeling the alternatives. Because one of the problems we have with how we make policy is we propose X. We propose the Trans Mountain Pipeline, but we don't propose the Trans Mountain Pipeline versus the alternative X, Y, Z, A, B, C. And that's problematic because we look at a nuclear plant and we say it has nuclear waste. Scary, runaway, but we don't connect that to those alternatives. So yes, a nuclear plant has some nuclear waste, but if we build wind turbines all over Alberta and then we run all the transmission lines, that has an impact as well. And if we dam a river and make a hydro dam, that has an impact as well. And what we really need to do is not evaluate project A, but we need to evaluate the suite of possibilities. And so um, an example of that was actually when we built a or when we talked about a nuclear plant, I think it was back in the 80s or 90s, where the evaluation was, well, we don't want nuclear, not the alternative is to burn a whole pile of coal. And so instead of building a nuclear plant, low carbon, very low um, impact, yes, there's a few kilograms of, of waste to deal with at the end of the lifetime of that plant, we ended up burning a whole pile of coal and making the climate crisis worse. And so rather than talking about an individual project, we need to do comparisons between what are the options? We need more electricity. What are those options that we need? And small modular reactors is one potential option in that suite. And maybe it's a few of those and some wind and some hydro and some transmission lines. But unless we sort of do that suite of scenarios, we can't make effective decisions on what pieces we want in our system. 
Well, Taco, that makes perfect sense to me that we actually try to uh, take an evidence-based uh, approach to policymaking and do the modeling as best we can prior to making those kinds of decisions. It uh, doesn't seem to be uh, uh, our current approach. Uh, we'd like to see, <laughs> certainly like to see more of it based on uh, sure. this conversation. You can, I think you've illustrated the value, argued the value of modeling uh, very well. So thank you very much for this. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.